At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Put our hands together for the Lord, friends. All right. Thank you, worship team. You may be seated. In the presence of the Lord, I'm so grateful that we get to be here together again in the letter of 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 2 today. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up right away to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you don't have them, the words will be on the screen uh, behind me. If you need a Bible, I will get you a Bible. Drew said that a couple weeks ago, and I got five Bibles sitting on my desk ready to give to people today. So if you need a Bible, I will get you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, please, it is so important that you see the Word of God more than you see my words. Amen? All right, praise a couple of you believe that. Thank you for, for those of you who think my words are more important than the word of God. Thank you, I appreciate you, but you will be let down. There is something very exciting about watching sports. I love sports. I used to be an athlete. Those days are long gone. So now I just like to watch other athletes do things I used to like to be able to do uh, on TV. And it's the, the thrill of victory, right? The agony of defeat, the, the drama of the competition, watching an athlete perform in their perfectly honed craft. It, it draws you in and, and it almost makes you feel like you're there, right? It makes you feel like you're on the court with the athletes. It makes you feel like you're in the arena with the fans. I remember a, a game with crystal clarity from the year 2012. My cousin at this time was a, a he's a basketball coach he coaches at a small school in North Carolina called Elon University but at this time he was a coach at Duke so I'm a Duke fan been a Duke fan my whole for since what 2003 I've been a Duke fan a long time. Uh, so Duke UNC, right, that's like the, the greatest day on earth, better than Christmas for me, when Duke and North Carolina play, especially when Duke wins, right? So it was 2012, they're playing in the Dean Dome uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina, and Duke had basically lost the game, right? They were down. My wife and I were at this restaurant watching the game together, uh, and Duke, the game was over. So, like, I'm, I'm all bitter, right, and sad, and I'm no longer a fun date anymore because my team is losing the game. And then Duke comes storming back at the end of the game, and Austin Rivers hits a three as time expires to win by one. And I jumped up out of my seat, and I was like, yeah, like, going crazy, and people were like, what are you doing? Like, why, why are you excited about this stuff? And, like, I felt like I was on the court. I felt like I was part of the game. I felt like I was in the arena. Like, it, it just, it, it all swirled around in my heart, and I was so excited. But the truth was, I wasn't in the game. I wasn't even in the arena. I was a spectator. I was watching on TV. The skill, the sacrifice, the effort, everything that went in to that game, I, I didn't sacrifice anything. I didn't work hard to be there. Tragically, friends, that's a lot like church today. That church can become a spectator sport very quickly. That we can cheer and clap for the people that are on the stage doing the ministry. We can cheer for the people that are doing ministry out in the, out in the neighborhood, you know, bringing boxes of food to people, whatever is needed to be done. But, but friends, church is not a spectator sport. You got to get off the sidelines and you got to get in the game, right? So what we're going to see today in 1 Peter chapter 2 is that all of us, upon our belief are in the game. And, and if we have taken ourselves out of the game, that we need to get back in the game, right? That we cannot just come and receive and, and consume and go home as though Sunday doesn't make a difference for the rest of our lives. That we can't just come here one day a week and think that we're part of the team. In the same way that when I cheered when Duke beat North Carolina, I wasn't part of the team. I didn't win anything. I got excited for a minute. But then I went to work the next day and nothing changed in my life. 
We can't treat church like, church like that. So as we continue in this sermon series in First Peter called Unshakable, right, that we're looking for steadfast hope in an unpredictable world, this is what Peter is telling us, right? Much like the letter of Ephesians written by the Apostle Paul. He tells the, these people who they are in Christ, right, born again to a living hope. Then he tells them how they're supposed to behave in Christ. So first, your identity is going to dictate how you act and your behavior. So he tells people who they are, and he opens up in, by telling us in, in First Peter chapter one that you're born again to a living hope then he calls us to be holy as god is holy and if you were with us last week you saw that he said that we are called to love one another with a brotherly love earnestly from a pure heart and the scripture we're going to look at today which is first uh, peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 8 uh, Peter is addressing how we're supposed to behave once again, but he's not exactly talking about, like we did last week, how you're supposed to treat one another. He's talking about ministry, how we are all called into ministry together. Can I get an amen, please? That we are all called into ministry together, right? It's not just the people uh, that get paid to do it. It's not just the people that have a microphone. Every single one of us is called to minister together and carry out God's mission. So through these few verses, just five verses today, verse 4 through 8, we're going to see two points. And the first one is this. Recognize your place in the house of God. Recognize your place in the house of God. Let's read together. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4, it says this. As you come to him, a living stone, let, actually let's pause real quick. As you come to him, who, who is he talking about? Jesus. In, in what way is he talking about Jesus? If you were with us last week, you saw that he said, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. So as you come to this sweet tasting, this lovely tasting, the best thing that you could ever taste. As you come to this Jesus, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I'm laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, so that the honor is for you who believe. So Peter opens up our text today with language of like a builder. He's talking about stones and being built into a house, and it might not make a lot of sense, but we're going to understand as we work through how we must recognize our place in God's house. And why Peter is using language like this is because for his original readers and original hearers uh, that were Jews, they understood this language very clearly. But anybody who also would have been around Gentile Christians who didn't grow up Jewish and weren't uh, ethnic Jews, they understood how Jews worshipped as well. It wasn't a secret. It wasn't a mystery how Jews worship. So he's using this language because he's contrasting the temple. So in Old Testament uh, Judaism, the temple was necessary for our relationship with God, for Jews' relationship with God. The temple was a necessary place because it was where sacrifices were made. It was where the Ark of the Covenant was stored, that, that this building was very, very important to their faith. And Peter is contrasting that today. And, and I'm not saying, nor is Peter, that church buildings are unimportant. He's not saying that houses of worship are unimportant. What he's saying is that it is no longer absolutely necessary in God's purposes for his people to make sacrifices at the temple. Why? Because with the coming of Jesus, there is the fulfillment of these things, the completion of these things, the fulfillment of the sacrifices have been satisfied by Christ on the cross, that the sacrifice has been made. The completion of our mandatory worship at the temple uh, is, is fulfilled 
fulfilled and completed by Christ. So now it is being rebuilt with you, with all of us, with everybody who authentically and truly believes in the name of Jesus. You are living stones being built up into not a physical temple, but a spiritual temple. So this is still, that this temple theology is still very important to God, but there's a slight transition to it. That it's no longer a physical building. It's no longer something that had to be built by David or Solomon. It's no longer that something, if it gets torn down, their faith is going to be crushed and shattered until it gets rebuilt back up again. That it is a building that can never be torn down now. Right? Because Christ Jesus is the cornerstone of that building and we are living stones. With the coming of Christ, again, all these sacrifices have been fulfilled. All this stuff that happened in the Old Testament temple is completed. Again, we no longer need this physical temple for these, these rituals or these sacrifices. And again, I am in no way limiting the beauty of God's house. The beauty of a church building, right? We know that this is a building, right? And wherever God's word is being preached, in my opinion, that's holy ground, right? Beautiful are the feet of those who carry the message, right? So, so I believe in this wholeheartedly. But it's no longer absolutely necessary for God's purposes for his people. So because the purpose of the temple has been fulfilled with the coming of Christ and the birth of his church, he refers to Christ as the cornerstone, the living stone, and then refers to us as living stone. So everybody who comes to Christ... Everybody who truly and authentically believes in the message of the gospel is a living stone that is being used to build up this spiritual temple. That's a great place to say amen, right? It's, it's really exciting to be a part of this. Now, I understand that we can't do a ton of work with Old Testament Jewish theology, but if you have any time to study this week, study the importance of the temple, and then study now that you are part of that temple, and you will be amazed with what God has given to you, what God has given to us. We should be reminded also of 1 Corinthians 6, right, where the Apostle Paul says, Do you not know? That your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit. Again, plural. You, plural. Your, plural. Your body, all of us, is a temple for the Holy Spirit. That the church of Christ, we have been turned in to this temple. It's a beautiful promise and a beautiful privilege that Peter gives to his original reader. So not only are we these living stones being built into a spiritual temple, we're also a holy priesthood. It's an amazing privilege. So again, that if we have to understand Old Testament Jewish theology very well to understand what a privilege we have today, right? The Levitical priesthood was vital in doing the work of the ministry for God's people, that they were the only ones who could do it. They were a special people, right? And Israel, they were God's chosen nation, and that they were chosen to create this temple where God would live. And now, that's us. It's an amazing promise. So Peter here, he continues here in verse 6 and 7, where he quotes the prophet Isaiah in the 28th chapter of Isaiah's prophecy, and he says this in verse 6 and 7. I want to read these again. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. So Peter here is saying to these original hearers and these original readers that this has been God's plan all along actually. That God had always planned to lay in Zion a cornerstone. And the cornerstone was the Messiah. The cornerstone is Jesus. And now we as living stones being built up into this spiritual temple. Chosen and precious. That we are part of this holy priesthood. That we are all being built upon Jesus as the cornerstone. And in the beginning of verse 7, it is an honor. This honor is for you who believe. So we're not doing Jesus any favors by coming to Christ. We're not doing God favors by coming to Christ. Yes, he's thrilled. 
He's pleased. He's greatly pleased, the father, when a child comes home. But we have to understand that we have been given an incredible privilege. That's why our first point is to recognize your place in the house of God. Recognize that you are not a second-rate Christian. Recognize that anybody who truly believes in the gospel is part of the spiritual temple, holy, is part of this holy priesthood. And the priests were meant to give sacrifices for the work of the ministry. He says that if we believe we have this honor, that although we're not all gifted the same way, although we don't have all of us the same type of gifting, which in my opinion is the most beautiful part of the body of Christ, that we come together all the same as stones in the same building, yet all of us are completely different in so many ways. So we're not all the same, but we have all been given this privilege as living stones in the spiritual temple and a holy priesthood. It's no longer just reserved for the special people anymore. So I'm going to give more sports illustrations. So, uh, Brennan, you're going to like this one too, another basketball illustration. In 2016, the Cleveland Cavaliers won their first NBA championship. One person is excited. Praise the Lord. All right, you're with me here, Mel. All right. So, uh, as is customary, right, you know, uh, I only believe there's one king, right? His name is Jesus. I only believe there's one chosen one, the Holy One of Israel. His name is Jesus. And I believe that my witness is of one person. His name is Jesus. However, King James, right, the chosen one that we are supposed to be all witnesses of, brought a championship back to his hometown. He did what he said he was going to do, right? Won an NBA championship, brought it back to Cleveland. And as is customary when professional sports teams win championships, they get commemorative rings, right? And who gets rings? The players and the coaches. They get these giant diamond-studded rings to commemorate that they put in the work, they put in the skill, the effort, they honed their craft, all this stuff, and they won the championship that year. But in 2016, there was actually something different. The, the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers franchise, the Detroiter, Dan Gilbert, said, I want to do something a little bit different this year. Instead of just giving rings to the players and coaches, he purchased over a thousand championship rings and gave them to everyone who was employed by the Cleveland Cavaliers franchise, the PR department, the box office staff, the parking lot attendants, hot dog vendors, security, everybody got a ring. So everybody, uh, even though there's only one LeBron James on the team, right, and he was the, the finals MVP, all this stuff, everybody still won the prize, right? Everybody who was part of that franchise still got to relish in the victory, and everyone was a part, and they received their ring for their place in that organization. The Apostle Peter is saying much of the same thing to the Christian church today. He is saying that if you believe that if you're part of this organization, right, the church of Jesus Christ, that, that you have been blessed as a living stone, that you are part of this holy priesthood. It's not just somebody who can prove their heritage as a Levite anymore that is a priest. It's not just somebody that can prove their heritage as an ethnic Jew that is part of God's chosen people, part of God's family anymore. Everyone who believes has been called to be in God's household and to be a priest. It's an amazing privilege. But what does it mean? Let's, let's, let's tease out what it means to be a priest a little bit for God. So we, we back up a little bit to verse 5 where uh, Peter tells us that we're living stones built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So 
again, we have to understand Old Testament Jewish theology to understand why this is so important for us. That the priests were the only ones who were allowed to go into the temple and offer sacrifices on behalf of all the people. So they repented for the people, right? There was a day of atonement. They had grain offerings, wave offerings, all these sacrifices and offerings that they would make to a holy God in order to hope to reconcile an unholy people. But they were God's chosen people, Israel. So now we... Anybody who believes in Jesus is part of this holy priesthood. Now, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to us today. When you hear the word priest, you probably think of one thing, right? You think of the Catholic Church, right? Or maybe you think of that terrible movie with Paul Bettany in it. Anybody? No. Okay, it was terrible. Don't watch it. It's about, like, demons and stuff. It's totally blasphemy, but it's, it's pretty entertaining. Uh, okay, so, uh, so we, we, we think about this priesthood and what does this mean? And the purpose of the priesthood, as we see from Peter, is to offer spiritual sacrifices, Holy, in obedience to God through Jesus Christ. So if we are all priests and we're called to make sacrifices to God, what does that mean today? What does it mean for us to be a priesthood for God, making sacrifices for ourselves and for the people and for the church? So I think that, you know, Peter doesn't really talk about uh, spiritual sacrifices a ton here. But I think that if we could read into the rest of Scripture, the rest of the New Testament, and how the body of believers as the royal, as the, excuse me, the holy priesthood uh, makes spiritual sacrifices, it's everything we do. By the Holy Spirit of the living God. Right? If we look back just a couple short verses and two weeks ago in in verse 16 of chapter 1, Peter said that we are to be holy as God is holy. That we are to be holy in all of our conduct. So as we look at us as priests for God, for his ministry in and to and through the world, that we're called to make these sacrifices. And and these sacrifices are, are supposed to be everything we do that's empowered by the Holy Spirit, which is supposed to be everything we do friends right it's not meant to be uh, compartmentalized right that i go to church on sundays but then you know i do monday night football with the boys and jesus does not come to that right that is not the way that we are meant to live life that all of our lives are meant to be set apart as holy to god no part of our life doesn't matter to god so we're supposed to hold nothing back from sacrificing to god everything for his mission in the world and to the world if we're this holy priesthood remember that levitical priests like this is what you did this was who you are this was your entire identity but we are now called this holy priesthood so we are called to do ministry and sacrifice make spiritual sacrifices to god so as we think about what spiritual sacrifices might be it's waking up early to come to the early service in church, right? It's a spiritual sacrifice. It is saying to your neighbor when you can clearly tell they're having a fight, a marital bout, like, hey, can I I pray for you guys? Can I come over and pray for you guys? It is everything that we do. It's how you minister to your family. It's how you love your family. It's how you show up at work. It's how you drive on the road when people cut you off and you tell them they're number one, right? Because Jesus loves them, right? So it's everything that we do, everything that we are is meant to be a spiritual sacrifice to God. If you are part of this holy temple, this living stone, and again, this honor is for who? All who believe. Christian, we must recognize our place in the house of God. That we're not meant to just come to a building once a week. Everything we do, our whole lives, are spiritual sacrifices to God. So that question should be uh, really a a few questions. What is my spiritual sacrifice? How am I spiritually sacrificing? How am I called to sacrifice to God? That's the first one. Again, this honor is to those who believe. So if you don't believe, then you need to ask, why don't I? If you do believe, you need to ask, what am I holding back? 
What am I not willing to sacrifice to God? Is it my job? Is my job and, and the, the means to provide that I think I need more important than sacrificing spiritually to God in obedience to Jesus Christ? Is it my friends that, yeah, you know, my friends don't really know the Lord. They don't really walk with Jesus, but I have lots of fun with them. But I don't ever share the gospel with them. If our whole lives are meant to be spiritual sacrifices, the question we need to ask is, what am I holding back? Which part of my life am I not willing to sacrifice as a living stone, a spiritual temple, a holy priesthood? Meant, my purpose is to give spiritual sacrifices to God out of obedience to Jesus Christ. So we have to recognize our place in the house of God. We're a priesthood. We have this noble calling and we're called to sacrifice all of ourselves by the Spirit to him. So as Peter here continues in the next couple of verses, the second part of verse 7 and, and then verse 8, he does so almost like in way of a warning, right? So, and this warning is to remember Peter's audience is, is Gentile Christians, but also largely Jewish Christians, people that uh, were Jews who would have understood what Old Testament Jewish theology was like because they lived it. Uh, and, and there was a special people. So Peter is giving this proclamation as all who believe in Jesus as a special people. But he also gives in verse 7b and 8, sort of this uh, almost a warning here and he gives it to this people that was special this people that was called this people who had been very privileged in God's plan of redemption and it's the nation of Israel now they had been delivered from Egypt in the exodus right God had delivered them they had had the law delivered to them through Moses at Mount Sinai they had had the temple built in their nation by their uh, countrymen, by their brothers, with David and Solomon, right? They had heard of these beautiful promises that were ultimately going to true, come true one day by the major and minor prophets. They had seen all of this stuff. They had so many advantages when it came to knowing God and understanding his plan of redemption. They had incredible honor in their role as God's chosen instruments for his ministry to the world. But if there's something that we need to learn from them today, which again, I, I've been on this topic all, all week in, in ministry and in counseling that, you know, even as I talk about the Jews and talk about how they missed it, most of us are like, yeah, they missed it. I think it's very rare for us uh, to begin to characterize ourselves as the Jews that miss Christ or the Pharisees that we don't think we're better than anybody. We always talk down about the Pharisees, that we villainize bad characters in the Bible, but we much more line up with them than we do Peter, Paul, Jesus, right? So we need to understand that. So, so I want to just give that, that brief caveat, right, is that, that when the Jewish Messiah came to this holy nation, to this chosen people, what we need to learn from them is our second point today is don't stumble over the word of God. Recognize your place in the house of God, point number one. Point number two, don't stumble over the word of God. Let's look at verse 7b and verse 8. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So Peter continues in standard Peter fashion by quoting the Old Testament, right? That these Jews would have understood the Old Testament. Peter's sermon at Pentecost quotes Joel 2. Peter has already quoted Isaiah 28. Peter now quotes Psalm 118 and Isaiah 8 because he's telling them that this was you and this can still be you. Because at this time, many Jews had come to life-changing and life-saving faith 
in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, but there are still some, still some that are rejected that have rejected him and are offended by him, and they have not received their salvation from him. So he, he kind of goes back to this truth, as we see in verse 4, where he says that there's this living stone that's rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And it makes me think of the line that uh, one man's trash is another man's treasure, right? And by, by no means... Am I likening Christ to trash? Okay, that's not what I'm saying here. But I'm saying that they had it. They had something beautiful. And they didn't want it anymore. They didn't use it. They got rid of it. The different people place different values on the same object. You know, we take this lamp, for example, right? So this lamp uh, it looks very ornate and was likely expensive in the year 1971. Right, uh, And as my family, we were driving home from church one day, and my wife, who has much greater faith than I do, was like, look at that lamp. And I was like, you mean the trash? <laughs> like, what do you mean look at the lamp? It was on the side of the road. She's like, that lamp is beautiful. And I was like, but it's, it's in the trash. And so she asked me, like, do you think it works? I was like, it's in the trash. <laughs> like, no, it doesn't work. It's not going to work for our family. Right? One man's trash is another man's treasure. So uh, we stop. You know, she's pregnant, so I do whatever she says. Uh, so there, there was this lamp, and I'm like, okay, we'll get the lamp, right? Uh, so brought it home, plugged it in, turned it on, nothing happened. I was like, I won't say it, but it was in the trash. But I could tell that she was sad, right? So I start tinkering with it a little bit. I take it apart. Uh, we go and buy some fancy bulb from Home Depot that... I think cost $12, more than I ever would have paid on this lamp, uh, but whatever, right? So we get it, and we, we tinker with it a little bit, uh, and, right, and now it sits next to our bedside. Uh, it would work if it were plugged in, but it's not. So anyway, <laughs> it, it does work, so the illustration totally foiled, right? One, <laughs> one man's trash is another man's treasure, right? So, uh, yeah, it's terrible. I should have tested it. It's all right. It's all good. Thank you, thank you. I'm, I'm here every Sunday. Thank you, guys. God bless you. <laughs> it's great. So we see this lamp on the side of the road, and I'm like, it's trash. It does, it's not going to do anything for our family. It's not going to help my life in any way. And Rachel says, no, there's, there's beauty there. There's something there. So we get it. We work on it a little bit. We receive it into our family. We receive it into our hearts. It does actually light up our bedside uh, every night. It's always on, and it's very bright. Um, but my wife loved it. So we, we look at this lamp as the example, and I think it's much the same as we look at the person of Christ and the gospel message of Christ, that many people reject it because they don't think it adds any value to their life. They don't think it adds any value to their family. They don't think their family can benefit by receiving this message, that, that many people are offended when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And people say, well, I thought God loved everybody. That seems pretty exclusive, right? And I think that people are repulsed when Jesus insists that you will not see God or enter into the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again, right? What does Nicodemus ask in John 3? Do I, do I have to go back into my mother's womb? Like there, he's repulsed by it. He's like, that doesn't make any sense. That seems so drastic, some people say. People are offended when Jesus commands that we repent of our wicked ways, that we die to ourselves, that we live for others, that we deny ourselves and take up our cross. Many people are put off by the idea that we're lost, that we're guilty, 
that we must have somebody to pay the penalty that is due to us. We must have a substitute to bear God's judgment in our place. And people say like, no, no, I don't need that. I'm not that bad. Yeah, my life's not perfect. I just got a couple things I need to clean up. I just got to straighten out a couple things. Then I'll come to church or then I'll figure it out. I can do this on my own. I can save myself. And so you see that we are not too different than the Jews that rejected the cornerstone. That us today, people still have no problem rejecting the cornerstone. People still have no problem stumbling over this stone or taking the stone as the rock of offense. And it's true. The gospel message of Christ is completely offensive to my pride, completely offensive to my life. And there are hard truths to swallow and humbling truths in the gospel that we have to face. But this hard truth, this offensive truth, is what we need. Every single one of us needs this. We need the truth of the gospel in our life. We need this gospel call to repentance. We need this gospel call to self-denial. We need this gospel call to embrace the cross. We need to know that, no, it's not easy to look at your life and say, I can't do it on my own, but it's good. You know, as, I, as I read this scripture and, and see how uh, you know, there's this idea of like, if we run to Jesus, everything's going to be okay, right? That when the, Jew, when the Jewish Messiah came, Jews thought everything was going to be okay. That we would militaristically rule, politically rule. We would have all the wealth, knowledge, and power. And yes, all, that thing, all those things are going to happen when Jesus returns. But it's not just going to be the nation of Israel. It's not just going to be them. It's going to be all of those who believe. And you know, I, I thought about uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? When... Uh, Lucy says to Mr. Beaver, she's like, we just got to go to Aslan, right? Aslan's the, the character that illustrates Christ, the Messiah. And, and we can go there, and then we'll be safe. And Mr. Beaver is like, oh, no, 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 no. Jesus is not safe. He's terrifying, but he's good, right? This is the answer for all of us. So I pray that we would not look at the Jews with our nose high up in the air and say, how could you reject Christ? When the truth is, many of us reject Christ daily. So every single one of us, we have to recognize our place in the house of God. Point number two, don't stumble over the word of God. That this word is life. This word is truth. This word gives us everything that we need. So friends, I pray that we would soften our hearts. That we would humble ourselves. That we would receive this gospel truth. That we would receive this call to repentance. That we would get honest about our sin. And we would understand deeply how desperate we are for our Savior not just the day that we say we got saved. Every single day we need him. Every single day we need a savior. And the two points that we talked about today of recognition, recognizing that you, uh, in your, your place in the household of God and not stumbling over the word of God leads us to our big idea. It's the only next step. If you believe these things to be true, it's the only logical next step. And it's to build your life on the cornerstone of Christ. That if your job gets in the way, then, then you need to make some spiritual sacrifices. If your friends get in the way, you need to make some spiritual sacrifices. If, we, if you find yourself not being able to make enough time for the Bible, then, then we need to evaluate, like, what is our relationship with Jesus? Because Christians don't make time for the Bible. We are the Bible. We don't make time to pray. It is our life. Like, it is our very lifeblood. It is everything that we are. We can't make time for life group. We are called to be spiritual family on mission. We are called to live life in community. And I'm, I, by no means am I trying to push programs on you at all. I'm speaking strictly from my heart to my heart and to your hearts today. That this is who we are. 
So as the worship team comes back on stage, I want us to understand how we build our life on the cornerstone of Christ. Because he's chosen, because he's precious in the sight of God. And that because upon him, we have been built up as a spiritual household. And upon him, we have been called a holy priesthood, right? That ministry is entrusted to every believer. Every single believer ministry is entrusted to. It's not just pastors who talk on Sundays, right? And I pray every day, please, God, let our church be the ministry, right? It's not ever going to be about a personality. This isn't even about Woodside, right? This is about Jesus. I thank God for Woodside. I thank God for our ministerial staff. I thank God for our formal leaders, right? I thank God for all that stuff. But it's about all of us. It is about the body of Christ understanding and recognizing your place in the house of God. And understanding the call and the purpose of a priest. The purpose of a holy priesthood. So at the end of this section in verse 8, Apostle Peter says this to those who uh, stumble over the word of God. He says they stumble because they disobey the word, which is what they were destined to do. God our Father knows the heart of every man, woman, and child, right? It's not up to us to, to dictate people's destiny. It's not even up to us to judge people's destiny. God knows it all. He's got it all planned. And I have faith in him that he's going to do whatever he wants to do and whatever he thinks he needs to do, right? Uh, but we, in my opinion, who believe have been called to something greater than just merely not stumbling over the word of God. That is, the Apostle Peter said in, in chapter 1 that we are called obedient children. That God has brought us into his family. Again, if you have any time to do some study this week, study Old Testament Jewish theology. Study what it meant to be a chosen nation. Study what it meant to, to worship in the temple. Study what it meant to have someone else sacrifice for your sins. Study what that meant and now study what you have if you believe. That's why Peter calls it an honor. He says this honor is for those who believe. So we've been destined to walk with God as our father. He has set us on a path to walk in obedience. He has put us on a foundation that is unshakable. He has laid the cornerstone for us, and we are being built up on top of it. And because that foundation is sure and true in Jesus, we'll never crumble down, right? Now, things might, might be difficult for us in our life, but that does not mean that your life is going to crumble down. Because even when you think it does, it's not. It's not over, right? The Bible says in, in Psalm that even though you start stumble and you fall, you are never cast headlong by God. You're never thrown down. You're never thrown aside by God. We need to embrace what is ours. Jesus is ours, church. The cornerstone has been given to us, and we've been built on him, and we need to understand that the word is absolutely necessary for our lives, that we cannot stumble over the word. We cannot stumble over the fact that the gospel might offend somebody, that, that true gospel truth saying, you are wicked, and you are sinful, and you're going to go to hell without Jesus, right? Now, that's not the most effective evangelical tool, right? Maybe don't use that verbatim, right, on the sidewalk, but it's true, so it's not easy, but it's true. It's not always safe, but it's good. It's not always fun to evaluate your life in a Psalm 51 kind of way, right? Search me and know me, look at me. I've sinned against you and you only, God, right? It's not fun to evaluate in that type of way, but it's good. It's the healing that we need. So I pray today that we would embrace what's ours, that we would build our life on the cornerstone of Christ, the living stone. This cornerstone, the chosen one of Israel, the holy one of Israel, this precious one. There's an honor to being a part of this household. And this household is every believer. So if you are a believer, there's an honor that has been bestowed upon you. 
And if you're not a believer, you can experience this honor today. You can receive this honor today. So just as a quick recap, recognize your place in the household of God. That you no longer need the temple or the special people to do ministry for you or to you. That's the thing that, that we've been repenting of this week, is how much ministry we do to people. God help us. That we are called to do ministry with people, right? That that's, that's what it is, that Jesus Christ Emmanuel is God with us. There are no extra special believers in Christ. There are different giftings, right? And it, does, it talks about these different giftings throughout scripture. It talks about different kinds of honor that comes with these different kinds of giftings. But there's not second-rate Christians. There's not second-rate true believers. So every one of you, recognize our place in the household of God, that you're part of this family, and that you are called to his priesthood, that you're called to ministry. Maybe you're not called to full-time vocational ministry, every single one of you, but every one of you are called to ministry if you believe in Jesus, that there's an honor that's been bestowed upon us. So don't stumble over the word of God. Don't stumble over how difficult it might sound to your friend, your sister, your mom, your dad, your brother, your coworker, whatever it might be. If they're going to stumble over it, they're destined to stumble over it until the time that they're ready to receive it. So we build our life on the cornerstone of Christ. So I want to invite you all to stand to your feet as we close in a word of prayer today. And we're going to sing a song called Build My Life. And it's not just a song. And as Denzel has already said, it's not a performance. That this is our weapon, right? This is our uh, tool for warfare. This is the thing that gets us through when we don't feel like we understand our calling. This is the thing that gets us through when it feels like things are crumbling. That we build our life on Christ. We build our life on the cornerstone that has been laid and that we are part of this house. Father in heaven, I pray today in the name of Jesus that you would help us that you would heal our minds, that you would heal our hearts, that you would show us your care for us. That you would release callings on our lives for us. That you would release us from thinking we have the best plan for our lives. That you would release us from holding back certain sacrifices we're not willing to make for you when you sacrificed your life for us. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you that you've called us, all of those of us who truly and authentically believe in your gospel, that you've given us honor, you've called us part of your household, part of the temple, that we are built up as the church, that we are your priesthood, that we are your ministers. And I pray that we would fully embrace the word of truth today as it leads us and guides us in the way of the everlasting and where we're called to be. So as we sing this song together, I pray that it's not just words on a screen, but it's the cry of our heart. I pray that it would be a, a moment of commitment to you, Lord, that we're, we're going to sing, I will build my life. Not I might build my life. Not I think I want to build my life. Not if things get bad enough, I'll build my life. But I will build my life upon you because you're the only foundation that will never crumble. So Jesus, we love you. We praise you. I thank you today. We ask in your holy and heavenly name, and I pray that you would receive our worship right now as a sweet incense and sweet aroma as we worship you in praise and prayer. We love you, Jesus. We ask in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. 
We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.